0: You know, yesterday morning we had, we had a pretty incredible thing that um, we had a group of people here working on angel tree, um, putting stuff together to take to the families. Just a really, really neat uh, third serve opportunity, and uh, uh, it was a cool thing, being in the hands and feet of Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but Christmases, um, it seems like Christmases just keep coming faster and faster don't they? You know, it, it, when you're a kid, it seems like they're a long way apart, and uh, as you're not a kid any longer, there's this sense that, oh, it's Christmas again. Um, boy, it just, it just happened. For me, when I reflect on the last several years, um, there has been one theme that kind of, for me, has been at the core of Christmases for, I don't know, the last five years, and I'm not really sure why, but it's as, as I've thought about Christmas, as I've had a chance to Think about speaking for Christmas, that kind of thing. It's this idea of hope. Hope for me at Christmas is one of the core components that's there because at Christmas time there is this sense of hope that seems to permeate everything. But it's not always that way, right? The city of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, is not a place of hope today in 2015. It's, it's still on the hills outside of Jerusalem, but for the last 10 years, it's been sealed off from much of Israel by a 20-foot wall that extends around the West Bank. It separates the West Bank from, from the rest of Israel. Every person who travels to Bethlehem this year to celebrate Jesus' birth will have to go through a checkpoint in that wall. They'll encounter. Um, Israeli soldiers, before they can pass through the wall. The soldiers will determine whether you can go in or out, whether or not your papers are in place. The wall was built to prevent suicide bombers from having free access into all of Israel. But one of the byproducts of that is that as they built this wall, it sealed off Bethlehem and other communities inside the West Bank from the rest of the country. And what's happened is inside the walls... Um, It's had a tremendous impact on the people who live there. Bethlehem is depressed economically. Markets for Bethlehem are limited to what's inside the wall. Supplies are difficult to obtain. The workforce is depressed and broken and hopeless. The hillside of Judea, it's now really a place of despair the same hillside that was filled with incredible hope and joy and peace on a quiet night, a silent night 2,000 years ago. Hope doesn't always remain, hope can be lost, can't it? In 2008, Barack Obama's presidential campaign was built on a political platform packaged in hope. Hope for new policies, hope for a new administration, Hope for a new age in American politics when a person with black skin could become the most powerful person in the country, even in the world. And now, seven years later, that hope seems lost. What does hopelessness look like in the world around us? It looks like the inside of a cell for a prisoner who's been sentenced to life in prison. Hopelessness looks like a diagnosis of untreatable terminal cancer for a person who believes that all of life ends here on earth. A person with mental illness who believes that their circumstances will never change. Hopelessness looks like a present banished to the island of misfit toys because nobody wants a Charlie in the box, right? Hopelessness, as it expands, as it grows, uh, it gets worse and worse. Suicide is the ultimate act of hopelessness. You know that story, right? Suspect kills wife, kills himself. The man facing a scandal kills himself. A teen is bullied and kills themselves. Hope vanishes. The pain's too great. There's no end in sight. Relief doesn't seem to be a reality at all and in the midst of that satan whispers the only logical path the only way out is is to take your life in an act of resignation hopelessness becomes a, a statistic with an impact that reaches generations when hope isn't realized when hope fails to be fulfilled disappointment can be devastating where no hope exists, despair is overwhelming. Maybe you've not ever been to that particular point, but we all experience situations that seem hopeless. You're diagnosed with a medical condition, but the insurance company won't pay for treatment, and it seems like that medical condition is never gonna be taken care of. It's never gonna be fixed. Your situation feels hopeless. You're accused of something at work by somebody who's more powerful or more connected than you. And it seems like you'll never be able to get out of that situation that's unfair and that's wrong. It's hopeless. You come out of college and you've got tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. And you think, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to pay that back. It feels hopeless. It may be that you're 22 or 25 or 35 or 55. And more than anything, you want to share your life with someone, to have someone that you can love and that can love you in return. But your relationships seem hopeless. Are we sufficiently depressed now? Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I, I thanks, Rick. Yeah, I, I thought Christmas was supposed to be this time of hope and joy, right? Peace. Here you are, making me feel worse and worse. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. I think part of why hope and Christmas are so tied together for me is because at Christmas time, oftentimes we pretend that hopelessness does not exist, and yet it's it's in every aspect of our lives. There, it's there, and to pretend that it's not there won't make it go away. In order to deal with it, we've got to grab hold of hope that really captures us, hope that makes a difference, hope that can change the bleakest of circumstances into something beautiful, hope that can make a prison cell a place of worship, hope that can make the diagnosis of a terminal disease a gift of life, hope that can take a disgraced elf and turn him into a dentist. Uh, The question is, where does that hope come from? Where does that hope come from? And where can I get that? Where can I grab that to have that be a part of my life this Christmas in a way that matters? That kind of hope has to be rock solid. That that kind of hope has to not just be a feeling but something substantive, something that can permeate the way that I think and the way that I live, something with assurance that I can hold on to. Where in your life is there a big enough hope that you can stake your life on? Where can you find that extravagant hope that can change everything? Is it in winning the lottery? Lots of people hope, man, if I could just pick those right numbers, everything would be okay. Is it in retirement? Lots of folks are thinking, boy, if I can just get to the stage where I can retire, everything will be great. Is it in having the right toys? Is it in having the new car? Is it in having the new snowmobile? Is it in having the cottage by the lake? Is that where you get that substantive hope from? Is it from your health? You know, if I can just get well, if I can just get rid of this affliction, everything will be great. There's only one place that we can find hope that will never disappoint, that will will never fail. That hope is not in a person, it's not in a thing, it's not in a circumstance, it can only be found in the God of the universe, the God who sent his son. Uh, Why? Because circumstances change. Circumstances will never bring lasting hope. Things wear out. No matter how much stuff we get, it will get old and fall apart. It will never be in a person because people get old and die. Only in the God of the universe, the one who made us, and loves us and saves us, only he can give hope that that will never fail. Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome, at the very end of his letter, a long letter, he says these words, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God is the source of hope, and he's the one who allows us to have hope that can abound in us. Peter, when he wrote to the church in the first century, at the very beginning of his letter, said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. we born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The psalmist wrote these words, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? Why am I waiting, God? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. Job, the man who lost everything, who lost his children, who lost his business, all of his wealth, said, Even though God would slay me, I will hope in him. Hope has the ability to transform everything, that extravagant hope. Where does that come from at Christmas? It comes as we look at the Christmas story and think about it with fresh eyes. We think about the power that's there in the Christmas story, and hope stems from every corner of that. The impossible happens in the Christmas story, right? A virgin gives birth to a son. There's this miraculous escape that comes from a, from a political leader that wants to kill the child. That's miraculous. There's a fiancé in that story that believes God that he can create a baby inside his, inside his, his, uh, his, his fiancé without the help of any man, without the involvement of any man. In the Christmas story, there's this incredible picture of God choosing two regular people not anybody fancy, not kings and queens, just regular peasants, people, to be the mom and dad, the earthly parents of his son. In the Christmas story, God provides whatever is needed for his son as, as Mary and Joseph and Jesus escape to Egypt to keep from Jesus being killed. Wise men come from thousands of, mile in, thousands of miles in the east, come and bring extravagant gifts for them, gifts that allow the, the the financial resources for that small family to travel to Egypt and back until Herod dies. Story of Christmas, that extravagant hope comes from the knowledge in that knowing that even though the baby Jesus was ultimately crucified as an innocent man, God breathed life into that dead body and brought it back to life. He conquered death. He broke the power of that through that baby Jesus. That's extravagant hope. That's hope that exceeds what's reasonable or appropriate. That's hope that's absurd to the rest of the world. It's almost beyond anything that we could ask for, that we could hope for. God has given us assurance He's given us assurance that he'll do what he said, that he will intervene to accomplish his will in whatever way is necessary. That should create this superhuman sense of hope in us. But somehow we've heard the story of the birth of Jesus so many times that it seems like it's lost its power to impact us. It's become a part of the season that we take for granted. Oh yeah, there's the trees and the lights, there's the snow, there's the carols, yeah, there's baby Jesus in the manger. It's all part of this package that gets lost for us at this time of year. The hope that comes from God, though, is extravagant. It's extravagant. It's a hope that's beyond anything that we can really imagine. Uh, Deb and I lived in Washington, D.C. with our kids for about 20 years. Um, We moved there when we were about 25 years old. And, uh, and it was a great place to live. A lot of people think, why would you want to live in D.C.? It, w- it was a very cool place to live. Um, it was difficult for us, though. We were young. Our oldest child was six months old when we moved there. And we moved 500 miles from our families in southwest Ohio. And uh, that, that was a difficult thing to be so far away. And yet one of the wonderful things about that was we lived outside Washington, D.C. So we had a lot of family and friends that came to visit. Um, The family and friends that came usually fell into one of two kinds of groups. There were people that would come and that would be really excited to see Washington, D.C. They were fun to take on tours. You know, I'd drive them downtown and point out the buildings and all this stuff, and, and they would be excited about that. And then there were the people that would come and would take them on the tour, and they'd come back to our house for dinner and they'd say, Oh, yeah, it was Okay. You know, we saw the Lincoln Memorial. We saw the Vietnam Wall. That, that, was, that was kind of interesting, all those names on the wall. You know, we saw the Washington Monument and the White House. We've seen pictures of it before. And those people drove me crazy. You know, I, I hated taking them on a tour because they were so blasé about everything that existed in the city. On the other hand, I, I remember one family in particular that came, a, a mom and a dad and a young son, and, uh, and I remember the first night as, as we sat and talked to them over dinner, they said, yeah, as we drove into the city, we were singing patriotic songs. Um, we were singing songs that we hadn't sung since elementary school time. Um, and, and then they got talking about how cool it was to see everything in the city, and, and at, its, at its core, why it was so, so meaningful to them was this particular man was a Navy veteran and it was his first time to visit Washington, D.C. He, I, I remember him just getting so excited to say, I saw the White House, the home of my commander in chief, when I served. I saw the Pentagon. That's the place where my orders generated from all the time that I was serving. I saw all these monuments that that were built to historical figures that built the foundation for the country for which I served. It was incredibly meaningful to him to experience that. For him, seeing the monuments brought together the past and the present and the future In a way that moved him deeply. Here's the challenge for all of us this morning. We've got, what, four or five days left until Christmas. This year, this week, experience Christmas. Read the Christmas story. Take some time to absorb the the concept that God would come to earth with fresh eyes. Think about the God of the universe with fresh thoughts. And see if you aren't captured with renewed excitement. See if you aren't filled with an extravagant hope within you. Because one day, we will see our commander-in-chief, the creator of the universe. One day, we'll have the opportunity to see the city where our orders come from, to see the city of our citizenship. One day, we'll be able to not just see the memorials of the heroes, of our faith, but we'll be able to talk with those heroes and to celebrate the ways that God showed his power and glory through them, through the decisions that they've made. That has to create anticipation and extravagant hope for that time, but also for our lives now. We have hope because Jesus came to earth as a baby, because he went to the cross because he conquered death, because he defeated sin for us. The message says this, the mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing God's glory. It's that simple. The ESV says this, The the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, is this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you creates the hope of glory that that transforms our life. Christ in you is is an extension of this whole idea of Emmanuel that we celebrate at Christmas. Last week, we talked about the names of Jesus, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We talked about about the idea that Jesus was Savior and Lord, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. We talked about the idea that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Why is that so important? Because when God came to earth in the form of a baby, he laid down his life. He willingly died so that everyone who believed in him So that everyone who allowed him to become the king and lord of their life would be adopted into his family and spend eternity with him. It couldn't happen without him coming down and living among us. If the promise, it's the promise of eternal life in a place that's so far superior to our lives here that we can't really comprehend it. We live in a great place, we live in a place with lots of stuff. And heaven will make this pale in comparison. Because God came to to earth in the form of a baby, we have the hope of something far better than our existence here. But only because God came to earth. A number of years ago, Louis Casals, who's a a UPI writer, wrote a story that I think describes this whole concept of Emmanuel in a way that we can kind of get our, our, that we can wrap our arms around. He wrote this. There was a man like many of us that was kind and generous, honest and hardworking. He loved his family. He wasn't a Scrooge, but he didn't really believe what he heard in church or from TV preachers about an incarnation at Christmas time. His wife did believe. On a quiet night in December, on a quiet night in December, one of those rare quiet nights, he told her, I don't want to disappoint you, but I can't buy the idea that God became a man. It doesn't make any sense to me. So on Christmas Eve, his wife and children bundled up and headed off to church for the Christmas Eve service. He didn't want to go and said, I'd feel like a hypocrite. You go on ahead. I'll stay at home. Shortly after his family drove away, snow began to fall. He went to the window and watched the snow become heavier and heavier. If we're going to have Christmas, he thought, it might as well be a white one. That'll be nice. He went back to his chair, turned on the television, and began to watch an old movie in black and white. A few minutes later, he was startled by, the, by a thudding sound. It, quickly follow, it was quickly followed by another and another. He thought someone must be throwing snowballs at the living room window. When he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They were caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter had tried to fly through the window into the warmth of the house, drawn by the flickering light of the TV. He was a good man and thought, I can't let the birds freeze. How, how can I help them? He thought of the barn where their horse was stabled. In the barn, the birds could find warmth and shelter. Quickly, he put on his boots and coat and tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on a light, but the birds remained shivering in the snow. Food will bring him in, he thought. So he hurried back to the house for the last few pieces of a loaf of bread. He tore them apart and sprinkled sprinkled the pieces on the snow to make a trail to the barn. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around and waving his arms. They scattered in every direction except to the warm, lighted barn. They think I'm a monster, some gigantic creature who doesn't understand that they're lost and freezing, he said to himself. And I can't seem to think of any way to let them know that they can trust me. If only I could be a bird myself for just a few minutes perhaps then I could lead them to safety. At just that moment, the bells of the nearby church began to ring, celebrating the birth of the Christ child. He stood silently in the falling snow, listening to the bells. As if a light had switched on in the dark, he understood. He had to become one of us. God, in the greatest intervention in human history, had become one of us. That's the concept of Emmanuel. That's the concept at its core that gives us that extravagant hope. That's the concept that leads us to understand Christ in us, the hope of glory. That extravagant hope, that awareness that God has come down to earth changes us and it, and it calls us to transform our circumstances as well. You know, uh, this year is the 50th year of the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Everyone has seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special at some time in their life, I think. It's, it's a cool thing. There's lots of articles about it. You know Charlie Brown, the Peanuts gang. Charlie Brown's kind of this, this, uh, this guy who's the eternal optimist. Every year, he goes to try and kick the football. Every year, Lucy takes the football away. He keeps, keeps going back out to do it. Every year, Charlie Brown gets his team together, goes out on the baseball field thinking they're gonna win the championship, and they lose over and over again. You know all the characters, Lucy, Snoopy, Linus is is just an interesting character. Linus is characterized by what? By his blue blanket that he won't go anywhere without. That blanket for him represents security and safety. Lucy tries to shame him into getting rid of his blanket, but Linus won't have any of it. Charlie Brown pleads with him when they go to play baseball and says, you can't take your blanket on the baseball field. Can't you just leave? Linus won't have any of that. He, he has to have the blanket. It's his security. Snoopy tries to sneak in and steal it, and every time Linus grabs it back. In, the, in probably the center, in the core of the Charlie Brown Christmas special, something incredible happens with Linus. Charles Schultz was very intentional at the time that Linus says, he announces the birth of the Savior, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That that symbol for Linus, that, that object that represents his security, his safety, everything about him, he lays down and drops it at that point in time. Because hope changes us. It changes the way that we act. It changes the way that we interact with the rest of the world. Hope demands, it calls for us to get beyond ourselves and to let go of those things that form our security, that form um, everything that we think that we have control of. When our lives are transformed by Jesus, that hope transforms the world around us. We do live in a messed up world. It's a world that's filled with pain and despair, Left on its own, it's not a good place. But into the darkness came an explosion of light. Into the pain came healing and peace. Into despair came hope, born in the form of the baby Jesus, who would save the world. Hope transforms our behavior. I want to bring somebody up on stage that I want you to get to know. This is Jeff Kimmy. If you would, welcome Jeff just now. Uh, I've asked Jeff to, to come up and, and to just talk about it a little bit. Jeff went to Ecuador with me, and, um, and I want to talk just for a, a couple minutes in the message about Ecuador, have Jeff talk about that. Um, ultimately, if you've been here the last few weeks, we've talked about the opportunity that we have to help plant a church in Ecuador, in a place of extreme poverty. What's the connection to this whole idea of hope? Um, when I was there, one of, the, one of the things that became a reality for me was this. Um, worldwide, particularly in the US, we try, and, we try and deal with poverty by helping financially, by helping bring in all kinds of resources, but poverty will never be dealt with successfully without hope. Because for a child who's born in extreme poverty, they don't believe that their life can amount to anything. For parents who are stuck in poverty that don't believe that there's any hope that they can get out of that cycle, it doesn't matter how much money comes in, how many resources, how much teaching. Without hope, that cycle of poverty will never change. But hope even without resources, will begin to make a, a, an incredible difference. So, uh, so Jeff, I, I want you to just talk a little bit about why, about what you discovered there, the connection uh, that, that took place when we were in Ecuador that gives us an, oppor- uh, an opportunity through hope to make a difference there.
1: Well, <clears throat> I'm not really uh, going into the trip to Ecuador. I don't really know about... Um, Compassion International a whole lot Um, so I really wanted to just hear and experience everything that they were doing Um, and Compassion International's mission is to release children from poverty in Jesus name and they do that through the worst the most poverty-stricken areas in the world Um, the places where there are is no hope they um, typically partner with a church. They, a matter of fact, they always partner with a church, but they usually partner with existing churches. And they sponsor kids, 200 kids. And the, the kids are taken care of with sponsorship money. The church is the vehicle that ministers to these kids. And they say with each kid that's sponsored affects 30 people in the community. And so, you know, you can imagine if it was you, your child that was receiving uh, help from the church, if the pastor or someone from the church says, hey, can we talk to you, it's an instant opening. The, their, their credibility is high. They can go and talk to these 30 people that, um, that this child has impact through. And they find that in the course of about 15 years, the community has really changed and transformed and the, um, uh, the interesting thing with the Stadia, which is the church planting organization, um, now that they've started those areas of the worst poverty where there's no church at all that Compassion couldn't even go into and do anything because there's no church, now they've got a church being built, a local pastor coming and talking to the people in the community, the 200 kids getting sponsored, the, uh, the impact is so sudden and so uh, intense that that 15 years is reduced to like three years. That they see this community, a tremendous transformation in three years where it took 15 years before. Uh, it's, a, it's very eye-opening. Um, that,
0: that concept, is a, it's an incredible concept. Why is that so compelling? to us? Why, why should we be involved in it?
1: The fact is that the, the poverty 19,000 kids every day die because of poverty. That's 19,000 kids every day because they just don't have enough. And that concept of enough is, is why we should be in, involved at all. They're here they're, here's enough and they're way over here. They haven't they, they're trying to just survive today. They can't even think about tomorrow or dream for themselves or for their kids. They have no dreams for their kids. They don't name their kids a lot of times because, until they're older because most of them don't survive. So it's easier to bury a child without a name. So they don't name the kids. It's, they're hopeless over here. They can't hear God's cries because they're just trying to make it. What's on this side? Here's enough. And we're way over here with so much more than enough compared to poverty. And we're just buying luxuries. We're, we're making a lot of noise. So that they can't hear God over here because they're, they're crying out just to make it today. We're over here with a lot of noise. We're not even listening to God because we got so much junk.
0: How, how do we get to the middle?
1: Well, we've got a choice. We've, we've passed enough, and we're over here. We just need to find the right enough. We don't need to live over here. We can live and have enough here. We just have to find our own enough. If we can take a few steps toward enough and, and draw some people a few steps closer to enough over here, they can come out of that hopeless situation. The, um, you know, When we were in, on Pampano, we visited um, in the home with uh, uh, Maricela and her two kids. And it was eye-opening. The, I mean, she was a very nice lady. She lives in a home about the size of most of our living rooms and has no furniture in the whole house. Um, and we asked her, what are your hopes, what are your dreams for your kids? And she said that they would learn to grow and love God, Jesus and that they would learn to play piano. And and yeah, that's she has no furniture in the house but she's got dreams for her kids now to learn to play piano and to draw closer to Jesus. She's been working with Compassion International learning from them for about a year, and she's, her life has changed, her kid's life has changed, because she's got that hope now. Would you
0: express your appreciation to Jeff for sharing today? <laughs> Thursday, Thursday at the Christmas Eve service, we're gonna take up a special offering. To help plant a church in a place that currently is hopeless—that's a big deal. It can make a huge difference in Ecuador. But here's the challenge for us, for us who are here in DeWitt, in Mid Michigan today, as we think about Christmas time and, and think about people who are so far removed from enough that they that they're just fighting to survive. We're on this end with so much stuff that, as Jeff said, we hear all the noise, all the wrapping paper, all the stuff. All the, Think about what it will be like on Friday morning, all the stuff that will end up on the curb. If we can, if we can take some steps because of the hope that's in us, some steps towards enough and away from affluence, and in doing so can help bring some people who are, who are moving from survival to enough so that they can have a relationship with God. The world can be a different place in our, in our lives and in the community in Ecuador. It's an incredible thought, but it stems from this extravagant hope that lies within us because God came to earth Because Jesus was born for us. Hope matters. Hope matters. Hope can change the world. If you think about it, diseases are cured because of hope. Because scientists say there's got to be a way to beat this thing. Poverty is eradicated because of hope because people say, we've got to figure out a way to help people who are just barely surviving or not surviving at all. Injustice is dealt with because of hope, because there are people who say, you know what, there is a better way to live than in the midst of this injustice. Hope, extravagant hope, changes us. It changes the world around us. Listen to the words of Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for peace and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and hope. God desires for us, inside of us, to have this sense of hope that permeates every aspect of our lives, that changes the way that we think, that changes the way that we interact with people, it's been said that Generation X and the millennial generations are the first generations in American history to not grow up with a dream that their lives can be better than that of their parents. Have you heard that before? Have you seen that, those reports? That they're the first generations that don't grow up thinking, you know what, if I work hard, if I do well, I can have, I, my life can be more, it can, there can be more to my life than that of my parents'. I think part of the reason that that is true is because that's always been measured in terms of things. We think, oh, I can, my, my life can be better than my parents. I can have a better house, a bigger house. I can make more money and buy more things. I can have more stuff than my parents. I think that there's an opportunity for us who are older, And an an opportunity for us who are millennials and Gen Xers to be able to say, you know what, I want to regain that. I want to recapture that concept. I want my life to be more than that of my parents, but it's not about stuff. It's about instilling hope in those around. It's about making my life count and changing the world because the hope that's in me because of Jesus God has given us this extravagant hope. Don't let that become noise. Don't be deaf to the power of the hope that we see in the baby Jesus at Christmas. Let's pray. God, fill us with hope. Fill us with hope. Forgive us, Lord, when we despair. Forgive us when we take our eyes off you and focus on the stuff around us and we begin to have this sense of hopelessness. Forgive us, Lord. We declare this morning our hope is in you. Our hope is in you. It's not in presence. It's not in stuff. It's not in people. It's not in plans. Our hope, Lord, is in you. Let that hope consume us, God, that extravagant hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.